This is a Business Disability Forum podcast, sponsored by Open Inclusion, creating a more open world for everyone, from user insight to inclusive innovation. Well, I'm here today with Martin Sibley, who is co-founder of Disability Horizons, amongst many other things that you do. You're a man of many hats, aren't you? <laughs> um, and it would be great if you could tell us a bit about those numerous different roles and the different jobs that you kind of do, Martin. Sure, yeah, thank you for having me on the show today, Lucy. It's nice to, to catch up. Um, yeah, as you say, there are definitely a few different hats. Um, I mean, when, when I left uni about over 10 years ago, I worked in fundraising for a charity for about five years in a few different strategic roles. Um, and I just generally had this aim and this dream, which I'm sure we'll get a bit more into this later as well, but to, to not only be in an office, but to really go traveling and see the world. But I obviously, if I was going to do that a lot more, I needed to have the business that could fund that whole lifestyle. Um, and so, I mean, the, the blog really kicked everything off. Um, that, that definitely, the martinsibby.com website was where I was able to start expressing my views on inclusion and being disabled and giving other people that outlet to, to kind of engage with that topic. And this was started in 2009. And from the blog, Disability Horizons grew out of it. So that's the magazine where we have lots of writers and contributors and a really good, good sized community. Um, and then more and more recently, having accessible goods and services and disabled, disabled staff is really vital for everyone. It's a win, win, win. And so I've really enjoyed getting more stuck into helping businesses and helping professionals to be better and untap their talent and make all of that world more improved. Um, and I'm also a speaker and a travel writer. So as you say, definitely a few different hats, but all under that mission of inclusion for disabled people. Mm. And what is it that you enjoy most? I'm kind of guessing it's probably th the travel, really, because that's kind of your hobby stroke. You tie it into other things as well, don't you? Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely still do and always will love travel. I will say that I've kind of burned out a bit from the travel <laughs> last year. Um, and so I'm definitely in a point where I mean, I've still been away probably four times this year, but I was going off for, for a few months at a time. So, um, yeah, I think probably that is the most fun, but it has to be in the balance. And I like having the, the speaking and the, the actually meeting people in business as well. So I love it all, basically. Mm. And what would you think would be the greatest challenges that you've had in your career so far? And I'm sure there's probably been a couple, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I alluded at the beginning that, you know, if I'm going to have, if when I sort of set out on this journey, if I'm going to be able to travel and, and, and also the, we do a lot on Disability Horizons without any funding. So I, I guess it's that having the lifestyle and working on projects that I'm really passionate about in a social way, you still need the means to pay the mortgage and have food on the table. And I would say that when I went self-employed, being able to earn a decent or enough of a living was definitely and still remains to be a big challenge. Mm. And this is an interesting one, I think, because we've talked around disability quite a lot. And obviously, it's a big part of your life and it's been your career in, 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 with multiple hats. Um, yeah. 
can you share with us a little bit more because of course this is an audio recording a little bit more about what your disability is and how it impacts on you um and and how how you feel about it as well and how that acts as part of your identity yes yeah, absolutely so it's my disability is called spinal muscular atrophy which people is under the muscular dystrophy family which more people have heard of um with sma you get three types and i'm type two which basically means that since birth I, i've never walked um i had my first wheelchair when i was about three years old um which was quite a big powerful wheelchair and it's quite amazing to look back that i didn't destroy anything or anyone at the time um, and then i i you know from that point i mean i've always had to have full-time care so mum and dad did all of that as a kid and then when i went off to uni and lived in london afterwards to work um, that now involves having full-time personal care assistance and the direct payment from the local council to, to fund it. Um, so I, I suppose that's the kind of practical side of, you know, I need support with turning at night, going to the toilet, like very, you know, a lot of support mm. physically. Um, and in terms of identity, um, it changed, it's changed a lot over time, actually. Um, I think that there was a time when, as a teenager, it bothered me that I was different and I had a lot of fears about the future. Then when I was sort of transitioning and at uni, I wasn't so bothered or worried about my disability, but I was almost living life so full speed that I was overlooking that it is part of me and it, I do have some limitations that I have to be thoughtful of. Um, and even more recently, I'm still working on that, not not burning out and overdoing it, and and uh, you know accepting that the SMA does have an impact on my health and on my life, um, but it certainly doesn't define me. Um, I, I know that I'm a whole lot more than someone with SMA. And you, you know, you haven't let it stop you. If you wanted to go and do something, I mean, when you talk about your travelling, you're not talking about a package holiday trip to the Costa del Sol, are you? You're talking no. about quite, I was going to say, hardcore travel almost, aren't you? <laughs> Can you give us some examples of the kind of places you've been to and the stuff that you've you've done? Sure. When I first wanted to travel without mum and dad, it was between my um, degree and my masters when I was at Coventry Uni, and I thought that if I'm going to go with PAs with carers on my own and make this like a really big thing. I wanted to do the other side of the world. It just sort of felt right to do the big challenge first. Um, so I went to Australia back in 2005. Um, and yeah, that, that was a big thing to, to arrange two PAs because I couldn't, I was away for over three weeks. So one person couldn't have done all my care on their own. So I had to arrange two PAs. Um, and I stayed in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. So I had to arrange three lots of accessible accommodation, three lots of hoist hire, three lots of accessible vehicles. So that, that was pretty epic, but yeah, it was an amazing trip. Um, I also did a volunteering project with the European Commission in a random city in the Northwest of Spain. Um, so that was definitely kind of not being in the tourist field, but actually, getting to know locals and the local culture and that was fantastic and then I suppose as the blog the travel blogs kicked off and I started to get invited by different tourist boards um, the destinations were maybe more 
typical sort of nice holiday places, but they had me doing things like uh, tree climbing and hot air ballooning and scuba diving. So I ended up doing quite a lot of adventure on the travels as well. And how do you find people interact with you? Because you say you, you use a wheelchair, a motorised wheelchair. How, does that affect the way people in different countries talk to you or what's been your experience of that? Yeah, actually, when I went to Australia, we had a layover for a night in Singapore. And I remember really, really feeling stared at. And I think, and this was 2005, so I don't know in the last, you know, however many years what's changed there. But certainly at the time, the feeling was that, you know, people in wheelchairs were just not seen out and about. And I really felt that in Singapore. Mm. I think in, in the more you know, in sort of England and Europe and America, those sort of countries, it's definitely becoming more and more in the public eye disability. And obviously, most people think disability means wheelchair user because yeah. it's more visual and we know, and luckily there's a lot of work going on in visible disabilities now. Um, but at the end of the day, me being in my big power wheelchair, it is just very striking. And so, you know, people do tend to have a cheeky little stare I would say um, and I think some have stereotypes of what it means to me because I'm in a chair but I've just always had the view that most of the time those barriers are broken down when people engage with me and for those that still can't get through the prejudice it's kind of there I almost feel more for them that they see the world that way rather than feeling bad that they feel funny towards me yeah no it's an interesting one isn't it and I think it must it must highlight a lot of the issues when you do travel to other countries because culturally I'm not saying we're brilliant at disability and we're not and I'm sure you still get a few of those funny looks even in the UK but I think comparatively there's probably other countries that maybe struggle with that slightly yeah. more just because of we're all on a different journey aren't we yeah, yeah, and I mean, the access when you're in a less developed country is definitely mm. worse. But yeah. I, I have always felt that the people will rush to come and help. So that I, I, it's not like I think there are some funny attitudes about disability all over the world, and particularly in Asia, there, there's a real feeling of um, a kind of shame within the family and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of work to be done there. But I would say out in public that people really rush forward when they see that you're stuck and want to help your stay be a good one which is lovely yeah kind of helps your faith in human nature a bit doesn't yeah, it that 100%. people are good and even if the stuff around isn't quite working people will help out and yeah, uh, exactly. yeah fantastic so we talked a little bit about in work although your in work and out of work is a little bit the same with your travel stuff i have to say i'm slightly jealous of that four holidays this year gosh i wish <laughs> um but do you think there's any parts in your life where you feel more disabled than others? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious one is that when the physical environment disables me. So when I go to a bar, restaurant, cafe, whatever it might be, um, with a group of friends, or yeah, even just with my fiance or just on my own, but basically when I can't get in the building, like that just really smacks you around the face that wow this world is still not really geared up for disabled people mm. um you know and I am ever the optimist and so of course I would say there are far more places that are accessible and things are 
far better. But yeah, unfortunately, yes, there, there are still definitely those disabling moments where you can't get in. And, and a bit what we were just saying before, that the attitudes, you know, if someone mm. holds some preconceived belief about you just because they see the wheelchair, that, that disables you. Um, it, it's all very social model that, you know, yeah. if, they, if those barriers are up, I'm disabled. But when those barriers are down, I'm just Martin. And I think mm. that's a really important thing that I'm trying to tell in all my trainings and all my talks that and it is that simple. Yeah, and do you find that those sort of first few words when someone's first met you and they're talking to you, they're not quite sure whether you're able to have a conversation? And I, I'm using awful stereotypes there, but I'm sure you probably experienced that yeah, quite yeah. a bit where the people language. go, hello, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or yeah. talking to your carer, do you get that a lot? Yeah, the whole does he have sugar in his yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think that the language, to be honest, when you look at the old medical model mm. and disability rights and the more modern social model, language is what enabled that and it enabled us to have um, what is now the Equalities Act and it, it's enabled a lot of empowerment for disabled people. But I also think that political correctness can disable people more than help them. And as you say, when people are t sort of tripping over themselves, yeah. like that, that's not helping anybody, that they're so scared of offending you, that there's got to be a better way for people to, to not feel so worried about saying the wrong thing. And for me, when I talk about my disability as an amputee, I think I have a certain amount of responsibility to kind of take away any awkwardness and make a joke of it. Yeah. And actually to kind of calm and neutralize the situation. So they, they don't worry about putting their foot in it because I've already made all the awful gags yeah. that mean that actually it's okay to talk about it because it is yeah. a part of you as well. I don't, what, what's your view on that, Martin? How do you deal with those? Yeah, I think very similar to you, Lucy. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I'm definitely, my personality is mine. I've not, I've not become who I am now because I'm disabled. But I do think that I've... Um, use that part of my personality of being quite outgoing and jovial as a way to break down those barriers and obviously in the in a perfect world I wouldn't need and you wouldn't need to do that you wouldn't need to be yeah. proactive but yeah that that is where we are and so I think it's it's nicer to educate people with love than with hate I think that's really important and if you can have a bit of a sense of humour in the middle there as well, then that also helps. And you need it sometimes, don't you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You don't um, laugh, you cry sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And it, it is a bit, isn't it, sometimes? Can I ask you to describe yourself in, in five words? What are the five words that sum up Martin? Okay. Um, sunny, because I love the travels and everything. And nice. um, I think cheerful. Yeah. Um, connecting. Yeah. Um, innovative and hopeful. All very positive words, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's true that, and actually, whenever I meet you, Martin, and we'd kind of meet, I've met a few times and had conversations over email and different things, the thing I always pick up is how optimistic, how positive you are about things and everything else. And I think that that says a lot a lot for your strength of character and I, th I think that's that's really good yeah and um, I, would, I would add to that that when I'm whether I'm working with disabled people or with businesses 
that I'm really, really careful to make it clear that of course there are days when I feel tired or I'm, you know, just having a down day and like that, that, because I think that the, the only risk of my positive persona is that it becomes like it's not realistic and it, it is all true and it is all me. But it's very good to just be clear that we all have those days that we have to manage and that's just part of life. Yeah, we're all human, aren't we? And we all have our little ups and downs and the things that get to us on certain days that other days wouldn't even bother us, don't yeah, we? exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So within those words, you didn't use the word disabled in any way. <laughs> um, is there any particular reason for that? Or, you know, obviously disability is a huge part of your life, personally and professionally. Um, and yet you didn't choose to use it, which is absolutely fine. Can you talk a little bit more around that? Yeah, when I used to do diversity training, um, so it was Scope was the charity that I used to work for for about five years. And I, I also did a train the trainer on the side of my job and delivered a lot of diversity awareness training. And, yeah, that the diversity strands of disability, gender, race, ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera, that they are all what make us up as people part of what make us up as people but i wouldn't have said to describe myself that i'm a man or i'm white so i yeah. see disability it is still fundamentally part of my identity but it's not really what i would go into when i'm describing myself as a person mm. yeah i know and i i agree completely um do you think that having a, a disability or an and would you call yourself having a disability rather than an impairment or whatever? It's an interesting you know, when people get it's language again, language. isn't it? Uh, because you know, I, I talk, I do, I write blogs and I do videos and everything, and I'm I'm always on slight tender hooks that I'm going to say something and it's going to rock the boat somewhere in the disability community. Yeah, there are so many different views on it. Um, from a social model perspective, it's impairment, but from day to day, I probably would say disability. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, and, and me too as well. Yeah. And I've never been had any concerns over that label. I've kind of embraced it a little bit. You know, it's a bit like the black community. We're embracing yeah. different terminology, and I think it's it is difficult, but it, it does make it awkward for other people, doesn't it? Anyway, sorry, I've gone off my question now. Sorry, <laughs> I got caught up on language. Um, do you think your disability gives you any advantage in in any other areas? So you know, what what superpowers does Martin have when he puts his cape on at the weekends? And uh, yeah. and you mean like connected to having a disability? As well. Yeah, because of your disability, do yeah. you think it gives you strengths in other ways? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I definitely think so. I think that there are, of course, so many parts of a day that I'm dealing with stuff that you could start to feel a bit victimised and unfair, like why I have to always sort out funding for care and equipment, why I have to maintain all the equipment, why I have to manage staff, all that sort of stuff could be, you know, quite down. But then the other side is like, I'll go to the airport and there's the fast track because whilst you're dealing with a few other bits to get checked in, then you're fast tracked through security and everything. So there's a bit of a, there's, there's certainly perks in, you know, in that sense. Um, but I think as a superpower, being disabled gave me resilience, learning to overcome adversity. Um, and definitely to be innovative, which was one of the words I used before, that we, we have to problem solve every day. Um, and so whilst I've learned skills and superpowers just 
by trying to get through the day to some degree, I've then been able to pour those into my work and my business. And then that's had positive outcomes for a whole community and for, for the economy, if you look at it that way as well. Um, and I bet you're really organised, aren't you? Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't be. After no. that's, an, that's an ironic one. I, I, <laughs> I would be the most spontaneous, haphazard person ever, but I've had to be more organised because of my disability. Yeah, you can't get away with that one. If you're not organised, you're not going to do stuff, are you? No, exactly. You're not literally, you would not get it. No, so I was going to say, yeah. you wouldn't get out of bed, would you? <laughs> uh, um, also, of course, you're in the um, Power 100 under the Shaw Trusted. Um, yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank I know you you're still much. back after that number one spot, but uh, <laughs> as I say, congratulations on that. Thank one. you. Um, how do you think over your lifetime and again you you were born with this disability so it's you, you this is what you've known all your life mm -hmm. how do you think your sense of identity has changed over that time and I think maybe we touched on this a little bit earlier on yeah yeah I could say a bit more about it I mean I think well I would say the very earlier days like primary school it just wasn't on my radar I was the only one in a wheelchair at my primary school all my mates didn't have a disability but they never made me, they never, they never mentioned it. And I would just totally felt like one of the class. So primary school would be not really identifying at all. That as I mentioned there, the teenage years where yeah, everyone's hormones are flying and it's a tough time. But yeah. I definitely remember wishing I could play football with the lads and wondering if any girl would ever see past my disability in, in the love sense. Um, and then at uni, when things definitely all started to go much more how I hoped they would, um, you know, I started playing wheelchair football and started having, you know, relationships and everything. So yeah, <laughs> uni was good in that way. But I also remember having a, one of those late night uh, drunk chats that you do with one of my mates, and he was he was in a wheelchair, he's in a wheelchair, and he really sort of got me to to see I was neglecting that part of my identity um, so it really has been a journey through different stages growing up of it not being on the radar to being everything to being nothing again and I think finally now it's a healthy balance. Mm. Yeah and it's interesting I think you've got to kind of own it to a certain extent and not let it own you haven't you? Yeah that's really true yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so my last question, I always think this is quite interesting. If you were to look back and tell your younger self something, what would that be? The the baseline would be it's going to be okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I really you know, keep mentioning about the teenagers. I just thought, would I ever drive? Would I ever work? Like, there was just so many doubts about it because it just seemed that the disability was so big and everything and that the world wasn't wanting it or already for someone or people with that kind of situation um so i definitely the main thing would be don't worry it's going to be it's not just going to be okay it's going to be great actually yeah. um but then yeah i guess some more practical things about you know there will be tough times but like they will pass and you know you're, you're going to have amazing people come in your life to help you but also make sure that you put yourself out there to help others on their journey as well.
Mm, yeah. And uh, you've got a, a puppy, as you were saying earlier on, and a fiance and stuff. And life is good, isn't it, Martin? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I'm still, you know, I'm still ambitious about um, how much of the world, I mean, it's sort of without going off into tangents like Brexit and Trump, but, you know, there are worrying things still going on. They're, they're not as direct, directly related to me. Um, I guess I've managed to come through to be independent and to to be set up to have a, a happy life at the moment. Um, but actually for me, the next phase, and I'm already up to now for the last five or 10 years has been how we can get disabled people more included in, in the world, um, but also just broadly how we get people to stop having so much division and fear and just broadly having a much more um, or less volatile political scenery as well. Mm, you're ambitious, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> You don't ask for much, do you? Well, when, it, you know, when, when businesses or charities talk about their vision and mission, yeah. really my, my ambition and goal is that all the stuff I do now isn't needed. It's just yeah. all part of the society of DNA, but it's going to take a while to get there. So, yeah, we have to get our hands dirty and get cracking with it. Yeah, keep getting on with sorting this lot out, don't we? Yeah, but, exactly. Um, well, thank you ever so much for your time today, Martin. It's been really lovely chatting to you and kind of delving a bit deeper and probing you a little bit. So thank you for your openness. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Lisa. This podcast series is sponsored by Open Inclusion, helping business be beautiful, inclusive and effective. Find out more at openinclusion.com.